0: Catholic, I would just always say, where are these nuns? Oh yeah, where are Bible, the nuns? They would always point to Psalm 119, verse 105, None. None. Oh. see, continue, <laughs> air, sun, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteousness righteous laws I have suffered much preserve my life o lord according to your word accept o lord the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws though I constantly take my life in my hands I will not forget your life. the wicked have set a snare for me but I have not strayed from your precepts statutes are my heritage forever they are the joy of my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end
1: hey great stuff there okay let's read today is I don't know what is today the 8th
0: eighth,
1: February 8th we'll read what happened this day in Christian history and then we'll get into the Bible study February 8th his flattery got him nowhere in the end his name was Agrippa and he was born in 10 BC his grandfather was King Herod the Great the King of Judea at the birth of Jesus Herod the Great had five wives, including two named Mariam. Agrippa's grandmother was the first Mariam, a descendant of the Maccabees, who freed the Jews from the Syrians. Herod married Mariam I in 37 BC. Their wedded bliss lasted only eight years before Herod became suspicious of her loyalty and had her executed. Their union had produced two sons, Aristobulus and Alexander. Aristobulus married his cousin Bernice, and they had two children, Agrippa and Herodias in 7 BC. Herod became suspicious of the loyalty of Aristobulus and Alexander and had both sons executed just after he had their mother. Uh, After his father's death, Agrippa's mother brought him to Rome, where he was raised with members of the imperial family. When he reached adulthood, Agrippa became a spendthrift, and when his wealth was gone, he borrowed heavily. Finally, falling out of favor with the imperial family, he left Rome, leaving behind many unhappy creditors. By AD 36, Agrippa was back in Rome to seek his fortune. He made friends with Gaius Caligula, the adopted son of Emperor Tiberius. When Agrippa remarked that he wished Tiberius would give the throne to Caligula, who would do a better job of ruling. Tiberius immediately had him arrested. However, fortunately for Agrippa, six months later, Tiberius died and was succeeded by Caligula. Caligula immediately released Agrippa from prison and gave him a gold chain, the same weight as the iron chain he had worn in prison. Caligula also made him king over the region of Philip the Tetrarch, Agrippa's uncle, and also over the tetrarchy of Lysanias, which is in Luke 3.1. Then in AD 39, when Caligula sent Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, and another of Agrippa's uncles into exile, he gave his territory to Agrippa as well. Agrippa happened to be in Rome in AD 41 when Caligula was assassinated, and ever the opportunist, he helped Claudius ascend to the throne. Once he had become Caesar, Claudius rewarded Agrippa by adding Judea and Samaria to his realm making Agrippa's kingdom even greater than that of his grandfather, Herod the Great. February 8th of A.D. 41, Herod Agrippa, as he came to be known, sailed from Rome to return to his enlarged kingdom. Once there, he began to persecute the church, trying to earn the favor of the Jews and had the Apostle James killed. When he saw how much this pleased the Jewish leaders, he arrested Peter during the Passover and imprisoned him, with the intention of bringing him to trial after the feast. What Herod didn't know was that while Peter was in prison, the church was praying for his protection. That's in Acts 12. The night before Peter's trial, he was awakened by an angel who said, put on your coat and follow me. Peter's chains fell off and he left his cell following the angel. The iron gate to the street opened all by itself and Peter was free. He quickly went to thank those who had been praying for him, meanwhile herod ordered a search for peter and when they couldn't find him herod sentenced the guards to death acts 12 again later herod agrippa spoke to a delegation from tyre and sidon that was trying to win his favor after the speech they gave him a loud ovation shouting it is the voice of a god not of a man as herod was basking in their flattery an angel of the lord suddenly afflicted him with a terrible malady because he was because he accepted his audiences worship instead of giving the glory to god he was consumed by worms and died five days later that's acts 12 as well and we have a reflection do you think that herod agrippa's persecution of the church and the murder of james were contributing factors in god's judgment on him if nothing else the story of herod agrippa's death underlies the importance of giving god Giving glory to God and not keeping it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. In Exodus twenty verse five says, "I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God." You left out a very important thing. What's that? Sergio's wife. Oh yeah, Rhoda. Absolutely. He and on the gate and Rhoda didn't. <laughs> Rhoda opened the gate. She was so excited she wouldn't <laughs> open the gate. Instead, she went back in and then told him. So that's absolutely right. <laughs> and uh, let's see here. We are. Oh, we got to open in prayer, don't we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much so very much for the chance to meet here and to share in your word and uh, we're just loving the book of Romans what an exciting word it is that you've given us and we just uh, ask that you would have us handle it properly and uh, carefully and not divert from what you would want us to say but I would pray that each person would as they go home check and make sure that what they hear tonight is acceptable and uh, to maybe read other commentaries and contemplate what they've heard so that they don't get duped by somebody who may have said something wrong Lord we uh, have people that we'd like to pray for that are online that are here that are having needs and difficulties and hopes and desires and all kinds of things that are in our lives that are uh, affecting our walk with you in one way or another or making our walk closer to you. And we just want to thank you for those things, pray for those things, petition you for those things and just ask that you would be with us and help us uh, to live our lives properly in your presence and to ever get closer to you. Lord, we do commit this hour and a half to you and we just pray that it will be acceptable in your eyes and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are in Romans, Romans chapter 9 and verse 24, and uh, just a couple people. Sir, where are you from? I haven't seen you before. Yes, sir.
0: Um... I yeah, met a guy named Rick today
1: who told me about Oh, Rick! Him. All right, well, praise the Lord. He's, he's not here. He should be here eventually, but uh, so you're here in Sarasota? Yeah. Ah, oh, Rick's a nice guy. He comes down every... year. You know, we are in the projects every Saturday, and we've been doing it for years, and this guy just would show up, just show up out of the blue for a couple of years, and finally we just figure Rick will be here next year, and he just shows up. He's so faithful with ministering to people down there every Saturday. But, um, you must be Charlie. Yes, sir. That's me. (laughs) And what's your name? Doug. Okay, it's a pleasure having you here and um, just so you know, we're in Romans, we're in chapter uh, uh, 9 and what we do here, I I wrote a commentary on the book of Romans and it's about 500 and some pages long and we're about page 240 right now, but I just read from the commentary and then we kind of get off on little tangents from time to time. So that's what we're doing and Romans 9 verse 24. Uh,
0: It starts mid-sentence should I back up? Yeah,
1: back up. As a matter of fact, let's see, we'll even go back further, we'll go to the beginning of a paragraph which would be first? yeah you 22 looks good okay okay what if god
0: choosing to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction <clears throat> what if he did this to make the
1: riches of his glory known The objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. Okay, this one's a little different, not much, but I'm going to read anyway. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. So we've been going through this. It's uh, kind of been uh, trying to be uh, meticulous in what Paul is trying to say because he's being very meticulous in what he's saying. So 924, Paul has been speaking of. You didn't read it. Yeah, you stopped
0: him. What? He
1: didn't finish. Oh, go ahead.
0: Okay. Even us. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead.
0: Who he's also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles.
1: Thank you, I, I don't yeah. know why, I just was looking at the verse and you said the, go to the verse before it. You wanted so, to see if we were paying attention. Yeah, I wanted to Thank see you. if you are paying attention. That <laughs> says almost the same thing. So verse 24, here we go. Paul has been speaking of the doctrine of election, right, okay, in the preceding paragraphs. He now turns to the concept of our calling. So you have the election, you have the calling this progression is found in Romans 8 verse 30 as well which said um, moreover whom he predestined he also called whom he called these he also justified and whom he justified these he also glorified so you've got the same pattern there the Jews and Gentiles are those described in the preceding verse verse 23 which we both read the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory when speaking of these individuals the greek word x is used for of the okay the word means precisely out of or from and indicates as has already been revealed elsewhere in romans that this is a select portion of the jews and gentiles okay not all jews are saved not all gentiles are saved okay it is not a national privilege but an individual honor for both jew Gentile okay I know somebody will cite all Israel will be saved and that's taking that verse completely out of context it's speaking of a future date it's speaking after the tribulation period etc but we'll get to that eventually right now (coughs) not all Jews are saved you are not saved by national heritage you are not saved by observance of the law Rick is here now there he goes and um, let's see here so anyway uh, can we help you (laughs) ma'am I'd love to pick on my mom. She shows up late, you got to pick on her, so there you go. Anyway, um, this calling of the Gentiles and selection of a portion of the Jews is not unique to Paul. Rather, it was prophesied in the Old Testament as well passages such as Isaiah 49 verse 6 will speak of this. As a matter of fact, I've been reading Isaiah as my weekly reading or my morning reading each day this week, and I just read Isaiah 49 6 about four days ago. So uh, Isaiah 49 verse 6 says... excuse me. It says, indeed, he says, I'm going to go back a little bit because this is the Lord's work being prophesied by Isaiah in the Old Testament. So we're going to go to verse five. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, speaking of the servant Christ, to bring Jacob back to him. So the Israel is gathered to him, speaking of Israel, being brought back to the Lord, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. And then verse six, he says, indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth something that even to this day the Jews deny they do not accept that salvation would ever go to the Gentiles And I'm talking about the unbelieving Jews to them that would be an abomination it's right there in Isaiah and he says it several times that's not the only verse where this is said but um, uh, God has chosen people out of all nations all nations in order to uh, join in his redemptive plans so that's Isaiah 49 6 it shows us that this is so God has always always preserved a righteous remnant of the people of Israel okay that's in Isaiah 1 verse 9 for example let me take you there very quickly Isaiah 1 verse 9 he also will mention it in the upcoming verses in the book of Romans but Isaiah 1 verse 9 says 13 5 okay went too far Here, Isaiah 1 verse 9 says, um, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been made like Gomorrah. And that's what we're going through right now in the Sunday sermons of the book of Leviticus. And we're going to get into the blessings and curses of Leviticus 26 and a couple more chapters. It won't be long. And the Lord made a covenant with Israel. He will not break his covenant with Israel. But the fact is that if He did not do that. There would be no Israel left because they turned away from him. They were completely stubborn. That's the point of the Old Testament is to show us that nobody pursues the Lord. Nobody. He's given the laws, and even with the laws, and with his gracious hand guiding them, giving them all the promises of blessing, they fall away from him. But the Lord made a promise that he would preserve the people of Israel forever, and he has done it. And he's regathered them, a couple from China, and a couple from here, and you know, a large group of them from here, but they're all being regathered back into the land of Israel to fulfill his redemptive purposes for them as soon as the church age ends. And in the meantime, we have Jews coming to Christ in numbers that were never conceived of in all of history. For the past 2,000 years, I said it in, I think, an update a couple weeks ago, one rabbi was in distress saying that more jews have converted to christ in the past 19 years than in the past 1900 years so it's uh true that they are being called they are being prepared for the return of the lord and obviously these people are going to see when the rapture happens because i am a firm believer in a pre-tribulation rapture that these believing Jews are gone, and it's going to spur some of them maybe to be the 144,000. I don't know. I, the Lord's working this out in His own way, but uh, uh, Charlie, just this last month or month before, Israel, my glory, had a thing about that. Is that right? And the rabbis are up, so upset. Oh, I so they're so beside people. themselves. Their their fellow Jews are are turning to turning to a Gentile religion. Well, it's not a Gentile religion at all. It's a completely Jewish religion. It's yet I will make in Jeremiah thirty one. He says I will make a covenant, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Mm -hmm. That's who the covenant is made with. We are brought into that covenant through God's grace because they rejected Him, and He's not wasting time during their rejection of Him. He's bringing in the Gentiles, as He said in the book of Isaiah. (laughs) But the covenant. Was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and unless you're a replacement theologian that believes that the church has replaced Israel, which is batty on the surface, then which would mean that he's broken his covenant to Israel, which is very clearly laid out in Leviticus 26. <coughs> We're going to see that it is very, very clearly laid out what God really, is doing there. Yes, sir. There's
0: probably 300 Messianic synagogues in the world. Yep. Yeah and 100 in Israel.
1: Yep, absolutely, and they have got a, and
0: go ahead. They estimate in America, this is chosen people, that I'm open ministry. They say
1: between 750,000 and one million Jews of Who believe? 1 million is a million right? are Christians. So it's a very small portion of them, but it is growing. It's it, it's growing. It's amazing, and the of you know, the Lord is doing wonderful things. Well, that's twenty percent. Uh, that well, no, seven hundred fifty thousand to five million. No, he said uh, uh, between to hour, 5 million. And 1 million. This million is, is what people. they were estimating. Oh, okay, all right, and that's what they. But that's only in America. That's right. That's not in Israel. No. Okay, so there yeah. you go. But you said something earlier today, just in passing, and I heard you say church. What does it mean? The called out. Right. It's, the word is ecclesia. Ecclesia.
0: That's, right. that's 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 Greek, the Greek word so for
1: called out. Which when you look at the Old Testament Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same word, ecclesia. Okay, adah or congregation, I believe, is the word in Hebrew. But
0: this but, makes a point right there. Absolutely. The fact that it's like you know
1: it, they are called out group called. of people. Absolutely right. Right. That's that's what the word is. Okay. So uh, here we go. We got um, he promised. Uh, I said Isaiah one nine preserving a remnant implies that not all are called if he has preserved a remnant as he said a very small remnant in isaiah 1 9 it means that not all are called okay so um but along with this remnant would be something that is often overlooked by this covenant people god promised to send his servant not only for them as i read in isaiah 49:6, 6 but as a light to the gentiles as well this promises hinted at all along, but it was somehow and still is somehow dismissed by the Israelites. I've got many, many very close Jewish friends. I grew up with them here. I've got others that I've made over the years. <clears throat> we fellowship together. We'll go out to breakfast together. But they do not believe that the Gentiles are a part of God's. They think it's a completely different religion. It's a different path to God. Whatever you want to, you know. Uh, but it, they do not believe that we are of the same group or identity in faith to the Lord and we're actually not because we have gone through Christ and when a Jew comes to Christ quite often they will use the term being a fulfilled Jew I was a Jew my whole life but now I am a completed Jew I now understand the entire that God was doing and it is all about Jesus Old Testament and new every single word keeps pointing to Christ every single word of it so life application very short commentary on this verse but um, in Christ the boundaries of life are removed there is no slave there is no free there is no Jew there is no Gentile black nor white male nor female that is in Christ when one is in Christ they are a child of God and one of the elect handle your relationships with others in Christ in a manner fitting of your calling. As we were talking about earlier before anybody got here is that if you want to know who tears apart Christians more than any group of people on this planet, it's other Christians. Right? That's just the way it is. We we love to tear each other apart <coughs> over minuscule points of doctrine. Okay? It shouldn't be that way. But you know, I mean, we have to hold the sound doctrine. We we have to call somebody out when they have crazy doctrine. We have to say something. But belittling somebody over something that is not a major point of doctrine is rather silly. If they will take correction, that's great. You know, the uh, the two verses in the book of Proverbs, one of them says, don't argue with, you, with a fool, lest you be like him. And then the other one says, argue with a fool, lest he be exalted in his own eyes. And there's a point where we are to say, your doctrine is unsound. I'm going to correct you. And if they keep going with unsound doctrine after being corrected, then don't argue with them anymore. They've proven themselves to be foolish in that particular doctrine. And all you're going to do all day long is scripture tennis. They're going to take a verse out of context, and they're going to swat it over to you, and you're going to say, no, this is the proper context. Here's what we need to say. There's no point in doing that. Facebook is not going to solve theological issues in people's minds. If they're not willing to accept sound doctrine, it's, it's a post on Facebook. It's not going to do it. I assure you. But it does get fun at times. Don't get me wrong. It does get fun. But um, uh, we, uh, oh, I had a point about this and I can't remember. So go ahead. First one. Okay, right.
0: sure. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who
1: is not my loved one. Oh, good. I, I included my commentary here. This, is, this verse is a part of a glorious chiasm that I found from the book of Hosea. Absolutely wonderful. We'll get to it in a little while, but uh, he is citing who? Yeah. Hosea, and where is Hosea? The Old Testament. In the Old Testament, which was at that time? The Christ. It was scripture. There was no New Testament. He's right. writing the New Testament. There may have been the book of Matthew or Mark. They didn't have what was considered canon at the time, although, Paul does write, I think it's in the book of uh, 1 Timothy, he writes about Scripture, and he quotes something that is in the book of Matthew, or maybe it's the book of Mark only. And so he is, he is taking one of those books and he's saying that this is now Scripture. Okay, it's the only place it's found and I I, I don't remember the verse right offhand but it's in the commentary and that'll be published here in a couple more days. We're almost done with 1 Timothy, but um, uh, he is citing Scripture. That is what he used in order to Establish his theology of Christ. He went to the Old Testament. Okay, and then he wrote the New Testament to explain what Christ did, and he gets all of his information from the Old Testament. There's I was talking to somebody over at the Thai restaurant today, which was really good, by the way, and um uh they not heard of the five solas. Okay, does anybody know what the five solas are? Yeah, okay, you've got sola scriptura, scripture alone, okay, sola fide. faith Faith alone sola grazia by grace grace alone you've got sola uh, Christus, or it it, it can go one of two ways solus Christo and solus Christus Uh, anyway there's two ways of saying it one is in Christ alone the other is Christ alone depending on what your point you're making and then finally sola Deo Gloria to the glory of God alone that's right so you've got the five solas and even though that's reformed theology it is sound reformed theology all right scripture alone and we what does that mean we let scripture direct interpret. interpret thank you scripture and it also to direct us we don't go outside to, to books of discipline we don't go to uh, uh, you know common books of whatever and like when you do that you are now saying that this is the authority for the running of our church not this this has to be the source and the authority because those things can be amended by man this cannot this is God's Word it cannot be amended when you have a common book of discipline or a common book of whatever for your denomination you are saying that this is what we operate by and then what happens we saw it just two weeks ago or this past Sunday is that the Episcopal Church up in uh, uh, Washington DC voted almost you know not unanimously but almost so that they would now include uh no male pronouns in their worship anymore there's no more God is father God is you know God is son there's none of that okay they have amended their common book of prayer and discipline and because of that they have completely departed from the faith and at the same time they also added in maybe that's coming in this week's prophecy yeah, update I don't okay well then I'll say it this week yeah. anyway okay then I typed it this week and we but th- yeah that is something that the uh, Episcopal church has father, done what can they say How well they... then you'll hear it in the prophecy oh, update okay. this week you won't get I'm it now not. anyway So, and they added in something else at the end of it, which these things can be amended. The word of God cannot. That's why we have sola scripture. And we have sola fide, by faith alone. That's it. That's the only way we're saved. We're not saved by works, as in Catholic doctrine. You know, you save, but you must earn your grace. And we talked about that. There's no such thing as earned grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. You can't earn that. Okay? You've got sola gratia. You've got by grace alone. There's nothing added to it. It is unmerited favor. You are saved by your faith in Christ, and it is his grace alone, and nothing else added to it. That is what saves you. And you have, um, what? what's the uh, fourth one? Um, in Christ alone, all right? We don't go through a mediator. We don't go through Mary. We don't go through the saints. There is one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus, is what Paul writes to Timothy. That's it there's one mediator in Christ alone or you can say Christ alone it is salvation in Christ alone he is our only model there is no Pope to direct us there's none of these other things so either way whichever one you take it is Christ alone that is it and then finally you have to the glory of God alone there's nothing else in our walk that should receive glory. Mary shouldn't receive glory. No pastor should receive glory. No person should receive glory. To the glory of God alone. And Christ is God. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And so he is included in that Trinity model. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To the glory of God alone. It's very long. i tell you what, if you want to see the five solas, just type them in to your search engine and you will get all kinds of information about it, you'll get pages and pages and pages of wonderful information about it. So read up on it, it's very good doctrine, it is something that is sound and it's something that we should hold to, those five tenets. Can we help you, Matt? (laughs) <laughs> Apparently not. Um, so, here we go. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, okay, so, um, back to 9.25. As he has consistently done, in order to substantiate his claims, Paul turns, again, directly to Scripture. That's why I brought that in and said it's the Scripture is the only thing that they had at the time. If Paul can write all of his theology, all of this theology about the New Testament, from his understanding of the Old, being a Pharisee he had a a, a firm grasp of the entire Old Testament especially the Torah but also the prophets and the writings which he refers to all of them if he can do that then that means that we can find Christ on every page of the Old Testament that's what we should be doing when we read the Old Testament and say is Christ here well yes he is and Jesus said that in John chapter 5 you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life or something but it is me that they point to I know I completely misquoted that but he said that these point to me they speak of me and so that is where we get our theology and then it is fleshed out in the new As somebody once wisely said Christ is concealed in the old he's revealed in the new Paul is taking his vast sum of knowledge and he's spelling it out for us to understand so um, he turns directly to the scripture to show us God's election and calling are not just for the Jews. Today he turns to the prophet Hosea. There in Hosea, we are shown that God's people are rejected or called according to a plan and a wisdom that we don't fully understand. Even to this day, I mean, you get great theologians on many sides of one aisle one is standing over here one is standing here and they're all arguing over how these things mechanically work and each one of them teaches that because that's what they believe only a fool would teach what he didn't believe and so when John Calvin says this and Jacob Arminius says this and R.C. Sproul who just died a couple weeks ago says this it's what they believe they can't all be right one of them is wrong, or both of them are wrong, but they can't both be right. Or, is it, yeah, that's that's correct. So um, uh, we need to make sure that w- there's a point where we have to say, "I am going to trust Scripture alone. I'm going to go back and do my own studies because these are both great theologians. They're great thinkers, and yet they come to a different conclusion about this particular issue. So. Um, He turned to the scriptures. Um, Hosea was a prophet who was used by God in a most unusual way. It's one of my favorite books because of this. He married a woman named Gomer, which right off the bat, I love that name. My aunt had a goat named Gomer. I mean, so anyway, it's just a great name. And um, yeah, Gomer Pyle. There you go. Um, He married a woman named Gomer per the Lord's instructions. Let me take you there. Let's go to the book of Hosea because we're going to be in there for a while and um, let me get there really quickly and Amos there we are Hosea and then we're I want to read you we'll just be in Hosea so I'm not going to turn out of here for a while Hosea right at the beginning Hosea 2 let's see here and he says in 23 then I will sow her for myself in the earth and I will have mercy on her who I had not obtained mercy then I will say to those people who are not my people you are my people and they shall say you are my god okay so he's uh, uh, he married this woman per the Lord's instructions and uh, anyway that's not the verse that I wanted to read you actually about that particular issue but um, uh, that was actually Hosea 2 2 & 3 I didn't want to read Hosea 2 23 but Hosea 2 2 & 3 when the Lord began to speak by Hosea the Lord said to Hosea go take yourself a wife of harlotry this is his calling and children of harlotry for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord so that's his calling he's told to go marry a woman who's going to be a harlot against him and he's going to have children that aren't his own because she's been messing around with somebody else right and he's telling him in advance this is going to happen I'm going to make you into a picture of what I'm going to do in redemptive history I've got this group of people who are mine And they're not mine and I've got this group of people over here that aren't mine who are going to be mine okay he's using him as an object lesson as he does with many of the prophets Isaiah was told to go walk around naked for I think it was three years right just walk around naked imagine how cold it is in Jerusalem he's told to do this barefoot okay didn't say that he did that because they wouldn't listen to him so yeah
0: I think that's what it says actually in the Bible. I don't know. That, that, I, that, that Jerusalem wouldn't listen to
1: him. So. Well, that's right. They the never listen to, to him. Their attention. Yeah, they wouldn't <laughs> listen to him. It. But they, there's that object lesson. You've got the object lesson of Ezekiel. You know, lie on your side this long, lie on this side for this long, make a little city of Jerusalem, do all these things. He's using them as object lessons. His wife, he took Ezekiel's wife, and he says, Don't mourn her. She's going to die. Sure enough, in the morning, she dies. Okay? Don't mourn her. He's giving these, and then he explains why he does these things. Okay. Each one of these prophets is being used by him to make a point about his people and his relationship with them and people that aren't his people who he will <coughs> have a relationship with. So it says, um, Gomer had three children. The first was named Yetzreel, which means God sows. Jezreel is what we would say in English. It is uh, the Valley of Jezreel, or where today is where Armageddon is, the Valley of Armageddon, okay? God sows. The name of the second was lo Ruama, which means no mercy. The third was named Lo-ami, not or no my people. You've got the word lo, no, and then you've got am, which is people, and the I at the end is possessive, so not my people. Okay, Loami. What is implied is that the first child was born to Hosea, whereas the second two were children of harlotry. God used this dysfunctional family with an unfaithful wife and illegitimate children to show how he works, even among those who are not his, while rejecting those who are his. However, even his rejection is something that won't continue on forever. This is his child. If he rejects him, it is not permanent. It's still his child. Instead, he will call his rejected people back to himself okay everybody seeing what he's doing is using this family this dysfunctional family as an object lesson of what he is doing in redemptive history and how somebody can read this particular passage and say the Jews are out and the church has replaced Israel when he's going to the Old Testament he's saying I'm going to do this as an example of what I'm going to do in redemptive history it's like they have to completely ignore this in order to say that the church has replaced Israel it doesn't make any sense Sure. No. what cherry-picking cherry-picking okay so it says um, uh, however even of his I said that it won't last forever instead he's gonna call them back to himself the symbolism of the book of Hosea is so rich and it is so beautiful it really is we reject God God calls us back and so Paul uses the words of this book to show us these truths in his letter to the Roman people, or the Roman believers in Rome. As the apostle to the Gentiles, he shows us how God worked through the Jews to demonstrate his character and his righteous requirements, okay? In due time, Christ came and fulfilled these requirements, thus allowing all to share in his goodness. But at this point, the Jews rejected him. He gave us the example of the law, the Jewish people. This is how you can have a right relationship with me. And remember, what was it? It even said there, Cursed is the man who does not do all the things of this law. We're not there yet, but we're coming to it. Okay, But that's one of the things that he said. And we know that not one person did all of the things of the law because in Leviticus 18, it said, The man who does these things will live by them well every person that was under the old covenant the mosaic covenant died they didn't live to live is to not die that means that if you do these things you will live by them They all died, meaning they did not do the things of the law. But they had a provision within the law which took care of their sins. What is it? Um, The Day of Atonement. Once a year, the Lord covered over the sins which he knew that they would make. Cursed is everyone who does not do all the things of this law. And nobody did all of the things of the law, and yet some people were covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, says David in the Psalms. How can that happen? He didn't do the things of the law, and yet iniquity is not imputed to him how does that happen it's because the Lord covered over his transgressions by faith the day of atonement was a day of faith and nothing else by faith they were to stay not working all that day they were to abase themselves and as I said in a couple sermons ago when we did the day of atonement they could have gone out nobody would have been the wiser I'm out in my field nobody knows I'm working today it's a day between the person and the Lord that day is a day of faith. It's a pattern of righteousness by faith in Christ. Okay? So we have this uh this thing which is going on. We've got this. The Lord is showing us this pattern of redemptive history. Nobody has uh fulfilled the law, but the man who does these things will live by them. And then he introduces Christ. And what does Christ do? He lives by them. <laughs> he lived under the law and he fulfilled the law. And so he we can now live by faith in him. He is the fulfillment of the law. His body was nailed to the tree. He died not for his own sins, but for our sins. And so death couldn't hold him because he had no sins. So out of the grave he came. And by faith in that act, we can now live. The man who does these things will live by them. We do them not on our own, we do them in Christ. And we're all going to die because we all have sin in our life. But from the time that we come to Christ, The Lord is not imputing sins to us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? And so, someday, we will be raised to newness of life when the trumpet sounds. Wonderful stuff, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But, for right now, that is what Paul has been doing. He's been showing us this logical progression of these things, okay? During this time of rejection, Paul tells us of the dispensation of grace which is poured out upon the Gentiles. He being the minister of this period. He calls himself explicitly three times I am the apostle to the Gentiles just as Peter is to the circumcision or the Jews. That's right. And so he is the Apostle to the Gentiles which tells us that we get our marching orders for the church age from from Paul that's right if you read Matthew and you try to insert your life or what Jesus is saying to you into your life and say this is how I'm going to live you have mixed dispensations because Jesus wasn't speaking to the church he was speaking to the Jews of Israel under the law in anticipation of the kingdom age that's why you get this this dysfunction when you're trying to live what Paul says and what it says that what Jesus says. Jesus says to them pray that you may be counted found worthy to stand before the son of man. Doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus say that? Mm-hmm. Are we worthy to stand before the son of man?
0: Yes.
1: Because of Christ we are. We don't have to pray if we're found worthy. We are worthy because Christ died for our sins. We have no iniquity imputed to us, okay? And so he's speaking to the people of Israel under the law in anticipation of that. And once again, as a proof, I know you'll remember this, what is the very last question that the disciples asked Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, before he ascended? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They had no idea, that much idea, that there would be a church age. They had no idea. They were looking for the kingdom. They were looking for the messianic reign where Israel would rule from among the nations, and they had no idea that it would be 2,000 years. Still going on. Without the kingdom being ushered in it is coming and it's coming soon to a dispensation near you but we are not there yet but that is what they were looking for in in Acts chapter 10 Peter had no idea when he had the vision he had no idea that he was supposed to go talk to the Gentiles he had to be told to go talk to the Gentiles in the next chapter 11 he shows up and the Jews come up to him and they accuse him you've gone into unclean Gentiles and he says listen this is what happened and he explained it to him they said so salvation has gone to the Gentiles they had no idea zero idea what was coming and so it took Paul The explicit instructions of the Lord to the man who had all of that wealth of knowledge in his head about the Old Testament because he was a Pharisee and a theologian to understand what God is doing and he could draw all of this information out of the Old Testament it says so um, the dispensation of grace passages such as Ephesians 3 1 verse 9 show us this very clearly okay his thoughts are summed up there in verses 8 and 9 but let me take you there very quickly Ephesians 3 stay in Hosea though because we're we're gonna be back there but uh, Ephesians (coughs) 3 1 verse 9 for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles if indeed you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have Briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He had the wealth of the Old Testament in his head, and he also had Christ who personally revealed it to him when he was down in Horeb. Remember, he was down in Arabia. Okay, that's in Galatians chapter 3, I think maybe 4. Anyway, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. They had no idea they had absolutely no idea what was coming even the disciples had no idea what was coming which in the other ages was not made known to the sons of men and as has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles Should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The first time they had any idea of that was in Acts chapter ten. That was actually it was with Stephen. Remember, uh, he went down uh, on the way. uh, The Ethiopian eunuch that went down, and it could be argued that he was a proselyte because he was reading the Book of Isaiah and he wasn't understanding it. But he was a Gentile convert, which well, that follows another pattern. But we won't get into that now. But Anyway, actual Gentiles that were living as Gentiles with pork in their stomach and had the Holy Spirit come down on them was completely foreign to them, completely unknown. And all of a sudden it occurred in Acts 10. So... In other ages it wasn't known that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body verse 7 of which I became a minister according to the grace the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power he's always giving the glory back to God to me here he's summing it up in verses 8 and 9 to me who am less than the least of all of the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ all of this was hidden all of this is made known and that's why when we take our theology from from Matt or our verses from Matthew Mark and Luke and we insert them into our dispensational model of the church age we err that's not to say that we don't read the Gospels that's not to say that we don't read the book of Hebrews that's not to say that we don't read the Old Testament we've been in the Old Testament now for seven years and we're only two and a half chap books through it right it is all about Christ but Every part of scripture pertains to our theology, but it doesn't all pertain the same way at the same time. Okay, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He gives us our instructions for the church age. All scripture is God-breathed. Okay, here's, but,
0: here's where I, I, I really feel for, I really do. Because chosen people, sounds impressive. Yeah, I always play the wise guy and say
1: chosen for what For what, that's but right. here it is, it was a mystery. They would never have gotten it. They They would not have gotten gotten it because, and that's what he says right there. Mm -hmm. They would not have gotten it. And I shouldn't be shocked that today they still don't get it. They still don't get it. That's but they. The reason why they can be blamed is because Peter stood up, stood up in Acts chapter two, and he proclaimed to them the gospel. Mm -hmm. He said that Christ, this Christ, he was you know dead and buried and resurrected. Blah. He said all the things he did. He repeated in Acts chapter four. Peter I'm sorry Paul went to every synagogue around there and he talked to them. and a couple believed the most didn't so they did have the information but you're right to this day they do not understand what has happened they have rejected the Lord and you know it what does it say in Ezekiel 38 it's such sad words it says not for your sake O house of Israel am I going to do these things speaking about regathering them to the land today he says for you have blasphemed my name among the Gentiles where you went. They are so far from the Lord. They are so far from him. You know, these uh, Hasidic Jews, the ones with the, the things and the, the black hats and all that. They are down in Miami. My, my friend, the guy that did the work in this church five or six years ago, used to live in a Hasidic community. And he said, you know, they look real pious and they're wearing their, their beanie hats and all that. and They're going and bowing and praying out loud. And he said they were selling opium all the time. He said they were running drugs, and you would never expect that. They've got their own prostitution rings. Yes, yes, it is amazing. It's, It's all just for show all of it and, and I, I couldn't believe when he told me that. I said are you sure he said absolutely I lived among them for years that's where atonement day comes in yeah the day of atonement well nowadays they just they don't have the day of atonement so they just they have different rites that they follow through and in the end the attitude was I was watching a, uh, a Jewish commentator um, a couple years ago and he said well what do you do about the sin that you've committed and he said the Lord's forgiven it they just shrugged his shoulders and kind of sniffed and this is a yeah. rabbi so wow. yeah it, it doesn't matter they're the chosen people they're saved and that's it so anyway um, however despite Israel's rejection of Christ the symbolism of Hosea as Jesus words and Paul's writings also shows us that they too will be called back at some point in the future jesus said it explicitly people that reject israel today and say that uh jesus isn't coming back to them he said it with his own mouth he said oh jerusalem jerusalem you who stone the prophets how i have longed to gather you as and, and gathers its chick under its wings but you would not you were not willing he says I, I, i'm going to miss something here but he says i tell you see your house is left to you desolate that's it I, your house is left to you desolate i say to you He's speaking to Jerusalem which is the seat of government of the Jewish people I say to you that you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord it is up to the Jewish people Jerusalem the seat of power of Israel to say that before the Lord will come back to rescue them That is it, he said it with his own mouth. He is not coming back until they call on him. That doesn't mean he's not coming back at the rapture, but he's not coming back to the earth to do that. We're gonna meet him at the clouds in the air. Whether you believe in a pre-trib or a mid-trib or a post-trib, he is coming back. But he's not coming back physically to the earth until the Israelites acknowledge him as their Lord, as a corporate body of people, just as they are a corporate body of people called in Exodus chapter 12. They are corporate people. They are corporately responsible for him to come back, but each Jew is saved individually. There is no such thing as corporate salvation, okay? Anyway, um, uh, when the time of the Gentiles ends, God's attention will be focused on his people who have long rejected him. And we can see that happening right now. They're gathered into the land. The land is doing exactly what Isaiah said it would do. It's, you know, the deserts are blooming and on and on. We could go with a hundred things from Isaiah showing that what's happening today in Israel was prophesied. Okay. But um, as uh, his God's attention will be focused on them who have long rejected him and as a sort of hidden confirmation of these things and as if opening up a treasure of beautiful gems the passage that Paul refers to in Hosea is marked with a special chiasm this pattern shows the contrast of rejection and acceptance by God If you don't know what a chiasm is, a chiasm is a pattern which states a truth, and then it turns around and it restates that same truth in the opposite order. Sometimes, such as in the case of this one in Hosea, the pattern says the opposite as it unfolds. It says one thing, and then it says the opposite, and that would be a chiasm of contrasts, okay? So... Thus it is, oh, I said, it's a chiasm of contrast. This one here is one that I found back in 2007, and so I'm going to put it on the board for you to see. This is a chiasm from the book of Hosea. It probably isn't all going to fit on here, but you'll get the picture of what is being seen in the book of Hosea. If you go to Hosea, now, if you're in that book and you go to chapter 1, verse 9, okay, it says in 1, 9, you are not my people. You are. And if you want a copy of this, it's right online. You can go print it off or whatever. But I have a page of the chiasms that I found and there's maybe 60 or 70 of them. But, and they go all the way through the Bible. They go through every book of the Bible, but you are not my people. That's the first one. You are not my people. So we're gonna give that the letter a P-E. I know it's not an A, that's a P. I was saying A when I typed the O. Okay, so that's A. And then you have B, verse 110, Jezreel. J E Z R E E L. God will sow. Or God sows. God sows. Okay? All right. Then we have C. Dry land. Oops, I'm sorry. That's uh, verse 2 3. 2 3. Dry land. D R I Y L A N D. Okay? And thirst. All right. T H I R S T. And then you've got D. And that's verse 2-5. What happens in 2-5? The wife... That's right. She departs her husband. Departs her husband. Departs husband. H-U-S-B-A-N-D. Okay. And then you've got 2-7. Okay. What happens in 2-7? The wife returns... With W I F E returns to her husband. R E T U R N S to husband. A B A N D. Okay. Then after that, you've got two nine. What does he say he's going to do? He's going to take away the new wine. Take away the new wine. Take away the new wine. If my handwriting is bad, I know it already. Okay. G, 2.10 through 12, what does God do? 2.10 through 12, God punishes Israel. God punishes. Now remember, this is a picture of redemptive history right before your eyes. God punishes Israel. Is that happening right now? Okay, there you go. God punishes Israel. And then H, 2.13, God will punish her. H, Uh, that's not going to fit. I knew it was. I'm getting too long. I'm going to have to make it smaller here. God will punish her. God will punish. Punish her, P U N I S H her. Okay. Next one is X. This is the middle of the chiasm. This is the anchor. A chiasm usually has an anchor verse, which everything else centers on it, and it's usually a pretty cool verse. You go to some of them the uh, Book of Joshua; it's pretty marvelous. Anyway, um, but me, me, she forgot. But me, she forgot. Says the Lord. But me, she forgot. um, I'm sorry, yeah, 2.13, yeah, I didn't put that, okay. (laughs) It's the ending of 2.13, but me, she forgot, says the Lord, okay? It's not easy to find these. It takes a lot of studying, but eventually they come out. Then H, we're going back now. We're going backwards. This is um, 2.14a, God will allure her. Allure her. God will allure, A-L-L-U-R-E, her, okay? See how that corresponds with this? God will punish her, God will allure her, all right? And then we have G, God comforts Israel. Whoops, got to back it up this way. God, and that's verse um, 214a. Let me see, God will, uh, wait a minute. Uh, I'm sorry, God comforts Israel, 214b. God comforts Israel. See, oh, I know my handwriting is just terrible, but anyway, comforts Israel, I-S-R-A-E-L. And you can see G corresponds with God punishes Israel, God comforts Israel. Then you got F, 215. He says, I will give her vineyards, 215. I'm just gonna say give vineyards, to keep it short, give vineyards. Remember, this is all pointing to what God is doing in redemptive history. Give her vineyards, take away her vineyards, okay? Verse 216, E, the Lord says that you will call me husband. So that's E, and what did I say, 216? 216, God says you will call me, call me husband. I'm just going to make it short. Call (laughs) me husband, H-U-S-B-B-A-N-D, okay? Is
0: yours have husband or is she?
1: That? You would call me ishi? Ishi. ishi. means husband. My husband. Ish is man, and then uh, the possessive my man, my husband. So yes, it, that's translator's preference. If they want to say it in the Hebrew, that's fine. It means the same thing. Ishi, my husband. So yes. Um, What's the counterpart uh, on that one? I can't see. Okay, call me husband, and that one is wife departs from her husband. Okay. Oh, whoops! Wait a minute. E, wife returns to her husband. So God calls me husband. Wife returns to her husband. Okay. Um, D, husband betroths his wife. I'm not going to be able to fit all this in here. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm just going to say betrothal just so that we can fit it in betrothal. All right. And that would be um, uh, D, husband betrothed wife. That's verse 219. And that corresponds with. Wife departs her husband. So she's departed. Now they're being betrothed again. Um, E, I'm just going to say it because I can't fit any more in here. E, verses 21 and 22, grain, new wine, and oil. It corresponds with um, the dry land and thirst. The opposite is happening. The Lord is now providing abundance. And then you go to, uh, that was C, okay? And then B, he says again in verse 222, Jezreel, God will sow. God will sell. Remember, he rejected the son, now he's calling the son back. And then verse 223, which is the final one, A corresponds with this, you are not my people, or you are my people. It says you are my people, you are my God. So they are acknowledging each other here, and they're acknowledging each other here. So you've got the anchor verse, where is that? To X, me she forgot, says the Lord. And you've got this beautiful picture of redemption going on here. You are my people, you're not my people, you are my people again. And that's found in the book of Hosea. That is what Paul is citing here. So we're going to see how that all fits in eventually when we get to the book of Peter, which will be in about 14 years. We'll be able to see exactly because Peter cites this again. And he first goes, put it on your calendar. It goes, I may actually say it in the next verse. I don't know. I don't remember what I typed. But um, what is happening is that we have the Jews are God's people they are rejected. And then he calls the people who are not his people, my people, meaning the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden he turns his affections back to Israel which is as I said you've got the structure of the Bible laid out you've got the Old Testament you've got the New Testament you've got the Gospels you've got that anchor book which is the book of Acts which shows you this tradition uh, transition we went through that in detail for about three years unfortunately we didn't save it but um, uh, we have that transition book which goes from Jew to Gentile and then you go from Jerusalem to Rome you go from Peter to Paul you've got all of these patterns which are opening up in the book of Acts and then what happens if from Jerusalem to Rome the first epistle is Romans of Paul and from Romans he goes all the way to Philemon and all of a sudden you come up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews Hebrews Peter James all written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion written to the you know the 12 tribes of Israel once again God's attention is on the Jewish people the Bible itself is showing you the structure of redemptive history what is going on how he is working all of these things together Matthew Mark and Luke All fit this pattern very beautifully John is a transition book as is the three epistles of John they're a transition and then you have the final book Jude which leads us into Revelation and Revelation does it once again you've got Jesus talking to the church and then in verse 4 1 come up here you've got the rapture and all of a sudden from 4 2 to 1910 it's all on Israel it's Israel going through the tribulation period God's eyes are on that in 1910 Jesus comes back to Israel, just as he said, when you call on me, I'm going to come back. And so you've got the entire structure of redemptive history in the layout of the 66 books of the Bible, and you've got it hinted at all the way through the Bible in these chiasms mm-hmm. Wonderful pictures of this, so that we don't make the mistake that we think that we are somehow replacing Israel. God will never break his covenant with his people, yep. or he is not the God of the Bible. Yes. Is this under Superior One? I've got all of them. If you want, them, just email me, and I'll show you where they are. They're on the wonderful. One website wonderful wonderful one okay. just go to chiasms in the bible and there's lots of them i think i have two in there that i didn't find it were just astonishing and they're so nice that i put included them in there i said whose they are and then sergio's found a couple over the years and i've included his in theirs so, as well so um uh it, it, and you can find these things if you just look for them if you think what is god trying to tell me with this passage and you come to a, a verse that really stands out chances are There's a chiasm around it. Like I am that I am, guess what, okay? There are are these things that God is trying to highlight to us, and then from there we go and we see these beautiful patterns like this. He's telling us redemptive history. He's showing us how he works on... Is the Sabbath required? Remember the Sabbath sermons that I introduced that one Sabbath um, a chiasm. Is it required that we observe a Sabbath? No. He shows you very clearly in a chiasm of the Sabbath verses. All of these things are given so that we can know the mind of God, which is—and I don't mean fully know the mind of God. I mean understand the mind of God, what He is telling us. Anyway, um, Here's a thought. you what? Redemptive history is actually a. Oh, it is a chiasm. Yeah, you go, let me guess what go ahead. the is. Uh, the, the cross. Absolutely. <laughs> but if you think about it, if you take the Bible and man is with God, and at the end of the Bible, man is with God. And if you uh, you have um, uh, man fell and man is redeemed, and there is a beautiful chiasm which actually spans the entire Bible. It's not a long chiasm either, but it, it's point by point. It follows very, very quickly. The center of it is the cross of Christ. Absolutely. It's the anchor of everything. But The devil comes into the picture and the exact same number of uh, verses and uh, chapters or whatever it is, uh, the third chapter from the beginning of the Bible, the devil enters the third chapter from the end of the Bible. The devil is cast into the pit. It, it, there's this chiasm that runs through the Bible. All of this stuff that God is showing us. And this is not arbitrary. As we know, the Bible was compiled by 40 people over about a 1600 year period. And then the books were not, the Jewish canon doesn't read the same as ours. They end with two chronicles, we end with the book of Malachi. <coughs> The canon was changed by the Christians and it fits the rest of the Bible, the sixty six the other twenty-seven books of the Bible. Okay? And then they didn't know until three hundred and fifty years after these books were written which ones they would determine as canon. That was Nicaea, right? So then we get these. And then we come to the first time that there was chapter divisions in the Bible is about the year 1034 A.D. Cardinal Santo de Caro is the guy that gave the chapter divisions. Another guy did chapter divisions, but we don't use those because they weren't what the Lord wanted us to use. This guy did it, and they fit this pattern beautifully. And then in 1560, Sir um, Robert Stephanas put the Bible into verse divisions so we had the Bibles the books of the Bibles the arrangement of the books of the Bibles the chapter divisions and then verse divisions 1500 years later 1560 Robert stephanus gives us these verse divisions and there are patterns that run through those verses which are so astonishing you've seen them I showed you many of them they're so precise that it could not be by chance Isaiah 40 verse 3 and Matthew 4 I'm sorry Matthew 3 verse 3 say the same thing and Matthew is the 40th book of the Bible 43 43 right these patterns match beautifully and that wasn't until 1560 the first Bible to have those was anybody King James. No, it was the Geneva Bible of 1560 came out with the chapter and verse divisions for the first time. The Geneva Bible is what the Puritans brought to America. It wasn't the King James version. But these things are in the Bible. These things could not have been planned. And things like this, this wasn't found until 2007 right we I've got them that span entire books of the Bible that I found one of them is uh, uh the building of the temple when Solomon was in there and it, it's almost all of uh two kings it, it, it passages that it and some of them go one of the chiasms is it's got um, who is it um, uh, Elijah and Elisha are going and he goes across the river and he gets raptured up and then Elijah comes back and it says he went here and he went here okay Elijah went here and then he came back and he went here well guess what they go in the exact same direction, north, south, east, west, or whatever. I went and I got out the map of Israel, and sure enough, even the directions match. It, oh this is an astonishing book. People that would diminish this book, this book, are idiots unless they check it first. Right. And when you check it, you're not gonna diminish it. You're not gonna say that this is there's something wrong with this book. The patterns are way, way too rich and way too impossible to have been pre-planned, except by God, okay? And I mentioned that in the sermon last week.
0: Just to be clear.
1: Yes. My crack was a joke. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, life application on this first, and then we got 25 minutes, and we'll be done. Um, though the Gentiles were once out of the picture, there were still hints of God's love for them. Ruth, for example, and though the Jews rejected Christ, God has not given up on them he will again call them as a people to himself thus demonstrating that he truly is a God of grace and mercy and we've got it right here from the book of Hosea showing us this yep Hosea was showing us this Paul cites it Peter cites it we know that this is what's going on okay 926 and it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them you are not my people and they will be called sons of the living God okay that's the not my people part right we went through that well we're gonna see what it means here verse 26 is a continuation of Paul's citing of Hosea he turns from chapter 2 back to chapter 1 and cites verse 10 this is as was noted in the previous verse speaking to Israel about Israel this select group of people had rejected him and because of this he had rejected them But God says it shall come to pass as surely as time will move forward which it is we're going this way in time right as surely as time will move forward there will be a time when this will come about (coughs) if it says it will come to pass it is going to happen guess where God is he is outside of time he created time and space and matter for our benefit Time is going this way. He doesn't need to worry about that. When he looks at it, if you see a train departing a station here and you see a train arriving here and you see the trip and people taking photos of the impalas on the, the you know, all the animals That's and there's here. a bear, he sees all that at one time. It is all known to him at one time. The train trip to us is known to him immediately and intuitively. All right, everything, and I'm talking about the entire train trip of Human history everything that happens and everything that ever will happen God knows okay when he says it will come to pass guess what in the place where it uh, was said to them Paul's words in the place where it was said to them the nation was exiled for disobedience and before that occurred it was said through the prophets that there would be a sentence pronounced and then after the exile in that place the pronouncement was made okay you are not my people as Paul's words again that is the pronouncement they were exiled this is the pronouncement you are not my people the bond is broken and you who once were the object of my affection and the apple of my eye have now been cast off and disinherited okay can anybody disagree with that? We say they're the chosen people. That's technically not true at this point in history. You are not my people. They are being readied again to be his people. They are his people because they bear his name. But this is an object lesson that he is using. They are not his people in the sense of salvation, in, in the sense of his redemptive purposes. That is the belongs to the church right now. Some people don't want to hear that. We've got, as I bring him up from time to time, that guy out in Texas who says that there are two covenants running simultaneously and the Jews are saved this way and the Gentiles are saved this way that is untrue that is heresy there is one way to be reconciled to God and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ before Christ they looked forward to that in anticipation of it after Christ we look back on that and we rejoice in it but that is the only way that somebody is saved is by faith in the Messiah okay so we cannot say that there are two covenants running the book of Hebrews clearly and explicitly says that is not true. It is set aside. It is annulled. It is obsolete. Paul says it is nailed to the cross. Okay, so um, uh, it says, you are not my people. Uh, but what is implied in the term, you are not my people, is also implied for the second statement, where he says, "They, there they shall be called sons of the living God. This is Paul writing again. There they shall be called sons of the living God. In the same place of prophecy, which is the land of Israel, and in that same place of judgment, which is in exile from the land, God has determined that Israel shall once again be called sons of the living God. Right here, right here. This was seen very clearly in that chiasm, which was included just in the previous verses' commentary. Okay? What God rejects, God can also reclaim as His. And that's the point of this. The term shall be is in the biblical context as reliable as if it were already done as I said the train it's already done when he says it shall be in his mind it is accomplished we're just waiting we're catching up to what God already knows in other words when God speaks something that shall be it is as certain as something that has come to pass and Jesus speaks this way at times such as in Mark chapter 11 he says this let's see here Luke Mark it's the little book between Matthew and Luke, Mark 11:17. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. Well, who said that? That was all the way back in Isaiah he said that. Shall be called a house of nations. or uh, uh, house, Yeah, that's right. House of prayer for all nations. So he spoke, it was said, and it shall be that way. Understanding God's sovereign decree concerning Israel, we can therefore deduce that the same is true concerning the Gentiles. If God can disinherit his people and then reestablish them as his own, then he can do so for those who are outside of that specially chosen line as well this is where Paul is going with this and which we will see as he continues along remember he is the Apostle to the Gentiles during the time of Israel's exile for disobedience there has been a time of God's favor upon the Gentile world the precedent has been set in Israel and therefore it can and does apply to those who are not Israel as well all seen right here the interesting thing for people alive in this day, and I'm talking about us, alive today, in, well, I can't give, the yeah, anyway, I was going to give you, a, a tie something in with something else, but I won't. I will just simply say that in the year 1948, which some of us were alive at that time, in the year 1948, it began to happen. Mm-hmm. It actually started earlier, the Zionist movement and the people uh Herzl and uh, Ben Yehuda and all these people going back to the land, the language is reestablished, and all of a sudden the nation was born on May fourteenth of nineteen forty eight. Okay. God did this. He re gathered these people and he is continuing to do it to this day for his purposes. Okay? So um, the precedent has been set. The interesting thing for us alive today is that Israel as a nation has been regathered to the land, to Israel the land. It does appear that the prophecy which was pronounced is coming to pass. And if so, then the times of the Gentiles may now be coming to a close. Okay, I don't want to be a speculator. I We're, we're <coughs> in that general ballpark, but I'm not one to predict rapture dates and when the Lord is going to do something. That's nonsense. We know very clearly in Acts chapter 1 he says it is not for you to know the times and the seasons you're not to know that And that's the disciples and then Paul repeats that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 okay he says the exact same term it's the only time that those that term is used twice in the bible is by jesus and then by paul the times and the seasons now brethren concerning the times and the seasons okay we're not to know these things and then he picks up on that in one timothy that's coming to a devotional very soon near you in a couple more days that'll be published okay so this is something we are not to be predicting is the rapture of the church we are not to be predicting when Israel is going to be the center of attention again we can look at the signs we can know that these things are happening It is the Lord's sovereign decision and it is it is sinful to pre- be presumptuous in that way and to go pre- predicting rapture dates and it's going to happen on 23 September of 2017 well we're all still sitting here and then somebody p- predicted it happen would happen a week ago and we're still sitting here right and people do that this. They just keep <coughs> taking these dates and blood moons and this and that and they keep doing these things in divination. The Bible says we are, or the Lord says we are not to use divination. He will do these things in His good time. All right. So, um, let's see here. Um, where was I? Life application. Is that where we are? Did I just read this? Hang on a sec. Yeah. Sure enough, life application. We got time for one more verse, I think. Yeah, we might be able to fit it in. If God's word says something will come to pass it is as certain as if it's already happened when we dismiss prophecies because they don't fit our theology we cre- we treat God's Word as less than reliable likewise when we dismiss a particular verse because it is contrary to what we want to hear which is the most common thing in the world lately we hold God's Word in contempt what God says should always take precedence over what we do or do not like end of story there people ask me questions about divorce all the time and some of you know what my answer is every single time this is what the Bible says I'm not going to give you an out there is no out Jesus gave one reason for divorce and only one okay people ask questions about this issue and that issue and I'm not gonna waffle on that I have to talk to the Lord, or I have to. I'm accountable to the Lord for it. And every one of you needs to have the same attitude when somebody asks you an issue. If you know the answer to that issue, do not cave because of emotions or because of family ties or family relationships, because that is the start down a very, very sad path which churches take all the time, as we, as we will see this Sunday. Let's go on to nine point seven. We have got 15 minutes. We got to get that done. So Isaiah cr- cries out. Concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. The remnant will be saved. That's pretty clear there. I don't know how people can come to all these other funny conclusions, but the Lord is not pleased with disobedient people. Whether it's Israel, whether it's the church, it doesn't matter if it's you or if it's me. It doesn't matter how wealthy we are, it doesn't matter how strong we are or how many friends we have on Facebook. It does not matter. The only thing that matters is are we being obedient to the Lord or are we being disobedient to the Lord? Paul has established that there was, in fact, a plan and a place for the Gentiles, right? That's God's redemptive workings. But to demonstrate that what had occurred to Israel should have been expected, he turns again to their own scriptures. He always goes back to the fountain, all right? He cites Isaiah 10 verses 22 and 23 as supporting verses, but he could have pulled out countless others, literally from the law of Moses, Leviticus, especially chapter 26, coming very soon to a sermon near you, all the way through. He tells them, This is expected. This is what would be done if you don't obey. And he tells them again, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet, and they don't listen. He exiles them once, he punishes them, he takes away the rain, he does all of these things to Israel, and they don't listen. And he very clearly tells them what the end of that will be. And it happened to them, and they still don't believe that it happened. Now, I I am very sorry about what happened in the Holocaust. I'm very sorry what happened in the Russian pogroms, and all of the other terrible things which have happened to the Jews over human history. But it was a self-inflicted wound. Now, the Lord is very clear about what the king of Babylon did and some of these other kings. I brought them down to punish you, and they went too far, and therefore I'm gonna take out my wrath on them. So what Hitler did to the Jews, I am certain, fits that pattern, it went too far. But it was a self-inflicted wound which got them there in the first place, and we need to remember that. When, I've said this, I think, in this class, if not, if I have, I'm sorry, but when I was with mom in Israel, and we went to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial, and we came out and it was really moving i mean it's really sad to see you can't go in there and not be emotional i don't care if you're a jew hater you cannot go in there and not feel sorrow for those people but when i came out she said what did you think about that and i said there's only one thing missing there's only one thing missing with yad vashem and it's to have a copy of deuteronomy 28 in every language where these people have been scattered around the world printed So that when they come up there, they say, I understand that the Lord is the one that did this to us because we were disobedient to him. And until they are willing to acknowledge that, that it is the Lord they're accountable to, they're going to have all this trouble. Two thirds of them are going to die in the tribulation period. Two thirds of them because they will not acknowledge the Lord whose name they bear, Israel. Anyway. It says Paul says that Isaiah cries out also or Isaiah also cries out in other words what he wrote wasn't a quiet oh by the way thing it was a comment it wasn't one of the comments by the minor prophets like like Hosea it was the prince of the prophets Isaiah rather it is a declarative statement by Israel's prince of the prophets which should have been heard and should have been heeded Paul's statement that Isaiah cries out is intended to show that there was simply no excuse for not understanding his words. They were boldly proclaimed and should have been painfully evident to the people. And not only were they proclaimed and his voice died away in the the ether of the planet, but they were written down. And they had those in their synagogue and they would read them year by year. It's not like it was just a voice that suddenly disappeared. That voice is still there today. Okay. So, and they weren't written, they weren't written about the surrounding nations as so many prophetic utterances were instead they were concerning Israel as Paul says God was telling them in advance that despite being his chosen people there would be consequences for rebellion such consequences included a state which would bring them almost to the point of extermination as he said though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea that's an obvious description you can't can't count the number of sand on the seashore right okay that's an obvious description there were millions and millions of Israelites living in the land and feeling secure in their status this was a state that they could look all the way back to Abraham for in Genesis 22 it says this by myself I have sworn says the Lord Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, when he asked him to sacrifice Isaac, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will (laughs) multiply your descendants as of the stars of the heaven and as the sandwiches on the seashore, which is what Isaiah quotes, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies the father whom they looked back to was given incredible promises which recognized them as God's people from him came Isaac and then came Jacob and he is going to I want you to pay attention when we get to these sermons and especially in Leviticus 26 and 27 he is going to defer not back to the covenant with Moses but he's going to defer back to the covenant with Abraham it's a clear sign that the church has not replaced Israel and I'll explain that when we get there a couple more weeks and we'll be there okay he defers back to that we have Isaac we have Jacob and through this line came the Exodus and the giving of the law among this people could be found God's temple and the great line of Kings the Davidic dynasty surely they were safe and they were secure but Isaiah told them something different something they did not want to heed he said the remnant will be saved. You've got the seashore here, a remnant will be saved. A a handful of sand is gonna come out alive. A remnant is but a small portion of the whole and it is the part which is least favored, such as when one cuts off the extra portion of a carpet. That's called a remnant, remnant because you don't want it. We need to understand the terminology. The least favored of all of Israel is the one that is saved, okay? Normally, the choice part is kept, but the remnant is thrown away. But in the case of Israel, the opposite would be true. Only the remnant would be saved. Paul, citing Isaiah in this way, surely meant to show the nation that what he wrote wasn't just pertaining to the time of the Babylonian exile, but that it was an established principle that could and was going to be repeated. Solomon writes of this principle in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9, and he repeats it in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 15. 15, substantially repeats it. That which has been will be again. That which has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. One exile will lead to another. One calling of the people will lead to another. God repeats things so that man will take it to heart. Okay? That is what he is telling us. God had exiled the northern kingdom to Israel He did it again to the southern kingdom when they were taken to Babylon Paul was demonstrating that this would occur because of their rejection of Christ he's writing in Israel still in the land but he's telling them this is going to come about this is going to come to pass understanding that this was known to Paul from the very scriptures which established Israel as a people we can properly evaluate what he will say in the coming chapters and verses concerning Israel of Paul's future and our present this is where the great diversion between reformed theology replacement theology and dispensationalism comes in is in Romans 10 and 11 it's actually 9 through 11 but you're going to see this this great diversion between them we have replaced Israel all those Old Testament promises are spiritualized into us absolutely nonsense absolutely nonsense. And this is where we have to decide, am I going to follow this path or am I going to follow this path? Am I going to support Israel because God has chosen them again? Or am I going to reject them and go hang up BDS signs at my house? It's your choice. I would personally favor supporting Israel. I'm so glad that we have the president we do now who is doing that, because that may be our only hope. Left in this nation mm. is his choice to support Israel. Okay. Anyway, that's just what I believe. If you disagree, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you over it. But I'll keep showing you from Scripture. Okay? Um,
0: Charlie? Yes. The church today is no better than.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Ninety percent of the church no is this way. to think that uh,
0: the church.
1: Yep, and I will explain this we've got five minutes left but you remind me of this and I will explain this on the chalkboard why the church believes this way and why it's acceptable to a point although it was never acceptable don't get me wrong but how it happened and how this came into their minds okay but we've only got five more minutes and if I don't get this off on time then the guy that does the uh, video work or not the video work the audio work is gonna have a bucket full of trouble but you remind me of that we'll do that on the board okay um, so where was I um, okay uh, Israel of Paul's future and our present Failing to heed this established pattern has led to the doctrine of, which I just said, replacement theology. It says that the church has replaced Israel. Paul is showing in advance that this is not the case. By citing what he's citing now, you should not fall into the error that the church has replaced Israel. Okay? It's happened before, and so it will happen again. A remnant will be saved. Life application and we will be done God's intent and purpose for Israel didn't end with the coming of Jesus nor did the church replace Israel as a people rather during Israel's time of exile for their rejection of him God has worked to procure a unique people for himself among the Gentiles when this dispensation ends God's attention will be redirected Revelation 4 verse 2 and on it will be redirected fully towards Israel preparing them for the return of Jesus Christ he will dwell among them during this dispensation the millennial reign of Christ will occur he will sit on his throne in Jerusalem. The law will go forth from Zion, just as Isaiah says, and the other prophets. This is coming to pass. It will be this way. Because this is what the Bible teaches, remember to pray for Israel. They are my very, very last prayer every single night. I pray for Israel. Lord, open their eyes. Open their hearts that they can be converted, because a time of great trouble is coming on them, and it won't be long now. And so pray for Israel, pray for the people, pray that God will be glorified in them once again. And he will be. One way or another, he's going to be glorified in them. But I think the more we pray for them, the more people will come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Don't be afraid to witness to them, but I gotta tell you what, I've witnessed all of my Jewish friends and I've had zero success with any of them. They have very hard heads like we all do, okay? Some people will come to Christ, some won't, but there you go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father we thank you so much for the book of Romans thank you for the lessons which are found there which actually are pulled out from all over the Old Testament this wonderful wonderful book that you've given us which shows us your love for the people of the world the great plan of redemption which is found in it and the grace and the mercy that you have bestowed upon undeserving us what a marvel what an absolute marvel that you would take people like us and Accept us into your kingdom because of the blood of your son, Jesus. It's beyond comprehension. But we accept it by faith. We cherish what he did and what you did for us through him. And we love you, God. You are so good. Fill us with your spirit, even to overflowing, so that we just exude it in the presence of others and bring others to a saving knowledge of Christ through our actions and through our words. May this be so, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me back this up so we can say goodnight to the folks online. Oh, good, that's working. Okay, we gotta go break. Break, okay? Wave. One, five, four, three, two, one. Yep, okay, everybody, have a wonderful week. We love you so much. Hope to see you on Sunday. Take care. I'm not gonna be here next Thursday. You're not gonna be here next Thursday. I won't remember that. I won't remember that. Oh okay, thank you. Um, let's see here. We're on 928 next week. Wow, we did a lot of verses. We did four or five verses. Praise the Lord. Uh, okay, we got that. We got that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, would you? In the refrigerator It's the third. My keys like yeah. are there, so knows, I don't
0: want to.